That was, that was so sweet. Thank you, everybody, for remembering only the good. <laughs> so, I know it's late, don't worry, we won't be here long. I just wanted to give you, we should have a sermon. Um, and the sermon should come from scripture, which we do here every week. If you come here week by week, we believe that we should be in the Bible and learn things from the Bible. So today I want to just leave you with this thought. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 16, tells the story of Jesus calling his first disciples. I love this story, and if you were a student at La Sierra University while I was here for 20 years, you heard me speak about this text over and over again, because I believe it is where we should start in the story of Jesus. The first thing Jesus does when he begins his ministry is not announce that he's running for Messiah along with 32 other candidates. He doesn't hire a capable marketing company. He doesn't put together a logo, write a book, buy a building. He builds a team because you change the world with a team, not by yourself. The most important thing Jesus is doing when he's beginning his ministry is, is putting together a team. And the team is no one from his hometown, which I think has always been important for us to notice. The team is people from Galilee, the Galilean region. He's Jesus of Nazareth, and his disciples are all from Cana, Bethsaida, and, and the, the towns surrounding the, the, the Sea of Galilee. Why does Jesus go to recruit in an area he's not from. Well, I think there's a lesson, and the lesson there is that sometimes when you're called to a mission, a big mission in the world, the people you're closest to will not understand it. And maybe the people that have known you for 30 years aren't the ones who are gonna really get it right away. We know this is the case because when Jesus went back, Luke 4 tells us that they tried to kill him when he told them, the scripture that I've just read to you from the scroll of Isaiah is being fulfilled in me. They said, no, blasphemy, out. We're gonna stone you right now. So Jesus is out in the middle of Galilee, the Galilean Sea, recruiting his team. And he's calling people who aren't qualified. They're calling people who aren't necessarily gonna be the, the top of your list if you're hiring today for your organization, your company, or your institution, or even maybe your church. <laughs> He's hiring these people who are simply saying, okay. And here's how Mark tells us the story. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Mark feels the need to explain they were fishermen, that's why they're casting a net. Come follow me, he says. I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Brilliant author, Peter Ronfeld, Australian, writer says that this is the second invitation that Jesus is giving to people who are coming acquainted with him. The first invitation is simply, come and see what I'm up to. And once you've seen what he's up to, he delivers this invitation, come follow me. It is a, an invitation to people who are not well-trained, have perfect qualifications, whose references have checked out, his team is made up of people who hear his voice calling and they say, okay, yes, I'm in. Whatever you're gonna do, I wanna do it with you. I wanna say something about who is calling, maybe so that you, if you forget anything else I've said here over the course of 21 years, that you may remember this one thing. It is important to know who is doing the calling. It is Jesus and he's saying, follow me. Our faith 
has a center. And as a friend of mine likes to say, it has a circumference too, and it is Jesus. His invitation on this day is to follow him, a person. His invitation is not to follow an ideology, that'll come later, or a philosophy, or a core value, or virtue, or cause, or to develop a worldview. His invitation is simply, come follow me. All that will come later. Following Jesus will lead us to a worldview, values, virtues, and causes that matter to him. He will teach us to live in a way in the world that will produce all of these fruits I'm talking about. Following him will lead to his character being implanted in us. Eyes, our eyes will be opened like his eyes are open. And we'll see, we'll live awake to the things that are happening in the world that need to be addressed. Following him will lead us to the causes that matter to him. The orphan, the widow, the alien, the marginalized, the oppressed. We will see them because Jesus will teach us to see them. But it all begins with saying yes to an invitation from Jesus to follow him. The invitation will always be first to him. Jesus says, follow me to, his, to those people on that, on that shore that day. He doesn't say, um, I'm gonna make it controversial one last time, Pastor Chris. He doesn't say, come follow a church or church leaders or church policy or church doctrine. He says, come follow me. I am Adventist. If you cut me, I will bleed a haystack. <laughs> I like being peculiar. My father baptized me. I baptized Micah in that tank last year. I taught an introduction to Adventist beliefs class for 20 years. I am friends with Ellen White on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> Two versions of her. I want people to be Adventist. I entered Adventist education at the age of eight, late because of the blueprint, if you're a blueprint person. And I haven't left until now. I'm leaving for the first time since I was eight. Isn't that amazing? I believe in the work of our educational system. I did it all, elementary school, a boarding academy, the self-supporting kind where they make bread. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you, some of you old timers, like, oh yeah. I did, I, did, I did college only in Adventist institutions, Southern Andrews here. I diverted for a few quarters into a non-Adventist doctoral work, but I'm back. I like being Adventist. The core of Adventism is creative. It is constructive. It is forward-leaning. We are the people who are committed to learn and to grow and to mature. We have and we continue to be the people who proclaim the coming of Jesus, hope, reconciliation with God, with self, with neighbor, with enemies, with creation. We are those people. And that to me is the core of Adventism. But Jesus is above this church. And we follow him, he calls us to himself. And if all these things go away one day, our 503C status. <laughs> whatever, Silver Spring disappears somehow, or whatever, Jesus is still gonna be our leader. I like that you're saying amen about that because you know, sometimes these things can be misunderstood. Someone wrote on the Facebook machine 
about a year and a half ago, as the church wrinkles and shrinks, I wrote it down because it was so bizarre, as the church wrinkles and shrinks, we pastors will be the hospice chaplains for a dying denomination and its institutions. Well, you could have just said, average age is going higher, membership goes down. But you went with the poetic wrinkles and shrinks. Who cares? I care that people find my church uh, inviting, relevant, but I'm not gonna stress out that this may be the place where people are not finding Jesus. If they're finding Jesus somewhere else, let them, because I believe in Jesus first and foremost. He said, follow me 87 times in the Gospels. How many times did he say, build me a religion, denomination, churches, universities, conferences, unions, and make a long list of doctrinal statements? Zero. 87 times, come follow me. 87 times, come be a disciple. He never said the words committee member, board, nominating committee, personal committee, budget, etc., etc. We follow Jesus. One of our pioneers said he's not a great truth, nor a great message, nor a great movement, but a great person. Without him, there could be no gospel. He came not so much to proclaim a message, but rather that there may be a message to proclaim. He himself was and is the message not his teachings, but himself constituted Christianity. He is the message. Without him, there could be no message. He calls us to himself. Um, I've only got 17 more points, so stay tuned. <laughs> In closing, actually, <laughs> there is risk involved in this invitation. Jesus did not say on that day, come follow me, we're going to be awesome, healthy, wealthy, successful, powerful, stress-free, well-fed, popular, safe, admired, loved, liked, appreciated, accepted. There'll be no conflict, disagreements, no trauma, none of that. He didn't say, it's going to be so great. He also did not say, come follow me, we'll walk around Palestine for three years. I'm going to make some pretty bold claims about myself, then I'm going to perform some miracles, and then the Romans, colluding with the Jewish leaders, are going to have me killed in a horrible way on a cross. You'll see me die. Then they will come after you. <laughs> They'll persecute you and your families, your little children. Everyone's going to die. Who's in? Now, he didn't say that. He simply said, come follow me. I'm going to teach you to do something. I am going to teach you to do something so amazing. It'll transcend everything you do now. It'll be so fulfilling and satisfying that when your death comes, and they all died, by the way. None of them died peacefully in their beds at an old age. Maybe John, but that came later. They all were killed. But when that moment comes, you'll say, for me, like Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's risk involved in this. Absolutely. This last January, my <laughs> we'll talk about it, so. This last January, Shelly and I chose to celebrate our 25th anniversary with a group of, of friends who were like our family, two couples, 
Um, they are, um, they've been her childhood friends. I'm married into this friendship circle, and it's pretty cool because they're, both of these families are anesthesiologists, they've got money, so we always sneak in on their parties and their trips, and it's great. Every year we do this thing we call adult ski. That sounds kind of scandalous, but it's not adult like you're thinking. It's just we leave the kids behind. And then the adults go have fun without the, I'm hungry, I'm tired, she poked me, la, la, la. We leave all that behind. And we ski, and we take long lunch breaks, two hours eating lunch, because they're paying for the lift tickets, and we don't have to worry about it. Look, when I'm paying for a lift, we show up when the lift, the lift opens and we leave when they put the barrier in front of it. When they say, get out. When someone else is paying, I'll take my time. My friend Rob, we, we all come up to this sign that says, do not, do not ski this area unless the words actually said, you are an expert. There is no easy way out of here. Shelly said, I have nothing to prove. I'm going down a different route. The men, who thought we were still 20 years old, said, <laughs> I had some question. Rob looked at me and said, Samus? He calls me Samus. I still don't know why. Rob, if you're watching this one day, why do you call me Samus? I have no idea. But anyway, Samus, follow me. And I knew there was great risk. But I also knew this could really be a life-changing thing. We could do something so transcendent. I imagined us just skiing down this, this fresh powder, and it would be beautiful, and, and for a few minutes, it was. And then I hit that tree, which led to a hospital stay, and six broken ribs, and a punctured lung, Etc. Etc. <laughs> Follow me. There's risk. By the way, at this stage, six months later, I think it was worth it. Shelley will say, "Nah, you ruin our anniversary. I'd do it again. Ask for forgiveness, not for permission." Anytime we contemplate risk, it's always. Risk versus risk. If I had said no to Rob that day, I would wonder for the rest of my life, what did they do on that run? Was it fun? Did I miss out on possibly the greatest five minutes of my life? Anytime we contemplate risk, we often believe the choices are risk versus no risk or less risk, but there is always risk versus risk. If Jesus calls us out of a boat where we're fishing, we can say, no, I'm gonna stay here. This is safe, that is risky. But the risk is to our soul, isn't it? There's risk in saying yes. There's risk in falling in love, opening our heart up to someone else. There's risk in saying, no, I will not do that. I remember the day I reached for Shelly's hand. It was too early, too soon, but I took a risk, and there was a clear no. <laughs> we were walking on the promenade. 
Southern Athens University. I thought we were there, so I reached for her hand, and she, without looking at me, she said, nope, no. <laughs> and I said, that's right, no. <laughs> Not time yet. I took a risk. There's risk in ending a relationship. There's greater risk in staying in a relationship. You know it's robbing you of your dignity and your self-respect. And there's risk in having children. Someone say amen. <laughs> I'm not ready to say what the other side of that is yet. <laughs> I'm just joking. The risk paid off. They're amazing. We love you. We don't think of it as an investment yet because there's no return yet. I'm just joking. I'm no. The returns are daily. There's risk in saying, I forgive you. There's also risk in never saying those words and living a lifetime of wondering if a relationship could have been repaired. There's risk in taking a stand for something and saying, I believe in this, no matter what. There's a risk in saying, I'm gonna stand for equality. I'm gonna stand for dignity. I'm gonna stand for the things that Jesus is teaching me to stand for. There's also great risk in saying, no, not today, not tomorrow, someday when it's safe, I'm gonna take a stand. There's risk in changing a career, vocation, or a major, or a job. And I'm in the middle of that, saying yes to ministry. When I said yes to ministry, as all of you did, there was great risk in that, wasn't there? I remember when I was called. Phil Rosberg, who grew up in this community, one day yelled at me in the middle of the student center at Southern where I was walking by, and he said, buddy, you're going to work at camp. And I said, that's not me. You don't want me being an influence to children right now. The way I'm living is not good. He said, doesn't matter, come over right now. Why? Because somewhere in his heart, like Jesus, he knew, I'm not calling the qualified. And then, and then when this ministry calling turned into a full-time thing, I was like, no, 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 no. First of all, I'm kind of sensitive. I don't like conflict, as some of you already pointed out. Uh, you want to know something? I'll, I'll tell you this, a few years, <laughs> a few years ago, 10 years ago, after I finished the sermon here, I, I thought it had gone so well, Pastor Chris. It's one of, those, one of those days when you're like, I don't, Jesus, you and I were on the, like, we hit a home run today, didn't we, Jesus? Yeah, you walk, most days, I don't walk away feeling that way, but that day I was like, yeah, people were crying, and they were giving their life to Jesus. And then I, I just said, I'm gonna help people clean up the, the, the first service crew, clean up the church afterwards, because I felt like we had miracles happen here today picked up a note in the bag that said, Pastor Sam is a dweeb. <laughs> how, <laughs> how did it go from, man, home run Jesus to, that guy up there talking today is a dweeb. I went home, because I wasn't really sure, ESL, I didn't know what dweeb actually meant, so I went back to Shell and I was like, Shell, what's a dweeb? She's like, someone call you a dweeb? I'm like, yeah, I think so. I'm like, it's not good, it's not good. Google it. <laughs> I'm sensitive and being sensitive when you're a minister is not a good thing. When I was called to ministry, I kept thinking, but I've seen Jose Rojas. That man is like a lion on the platform, roaring, ah, roaring. I've seen Randy Roberts so smooth. I am not gonna be those things, Jesus. And still the call came, and I'll tell you what, these five steps right here, 
are the most frightening thing to this preacher and have been for 21 years. And at every step, here's the secret, I will always say, not my idea, yours, not my idea, yours, not my idea, yours, not my idea. This better be your idea, Jesus, because it's not going to go well if you don't take over. <laughs> when I was called to ministry, I kept thinking about the risk that we ministers take every time we stand up here and the things that we say, how they're going to be judged and the things people are going to say. And there was this constant affirmation and message from God that said to me, it is not going to be your work. You follow me. You trust me. And as the prophet Isaiah said, my word will not return empty to me. You are the donkey. <laughs> I'll do the talking. And so when the invitation came to work here, 21 years ago from this place called La Sierra, which we had never heard of before. Be offended, I don't know, how, I don't know what to do with that. We said, no, it's in California. <laughs> I had visited here. It's full of drugs and smog and crime and traffic and liberals. <laughs> I went and drank coffee and ate quinoa and acai and tofu and, and they sang with guitars and drums and there was earthquakes and uh, Laker fans and Dodger fans and Raider fans, gag. And yet the invitation came again and I called my father, as I said last Friday night, my father is my sage. I said, hey, we've got this, this call. I said a call and if you're an old timer, you know a call. It's a sacred invitation. You prayerfully consider it and you say yes unless there's some overwhelming reason you're gonna say no. And we said yes. We came out to this interview and people here were so rude. Let me tell you, our interview schedule said three hours with the pastoral staff. At noon, they gave me the schedule, we will go to Marie Callender's for lunch at noon. At 1 p.m., we still had not headed over to this lady Marie Callender's house for lunch. <laughs> and I imagined little Marie Callender had laid out all the china, <laughs> the roast was in the oven drying out, and these rude people who said they'd be there by noon were still at the church talking. I said, I can't work for these people. They don't care for their members. So I even in my head thought, we can't work here. Insensitive bunch of people. And we drove to Marie Callender's. And I was like, oh, well, that's, that's, that's Marie Callender's. <laughs> so when we said yes, we came to this place and we found, instead of gangs and crimes and criminals committing crime, we found a beautiful bunch of souls, this church, faithfully following Jesus, proclaiming grace from this corner, serious about scripture, honest about the truth, taking meaningful stands, a place that teaches and models God's glory and his grace. And instead of you, a bunch of wild liberals, feasting on bacon and coffee and dancing around a golden calf, we found a community of Jesus followers that lead, nourish, 
challenge our denomination when it needs to be. But most importantly, you already believe everything I've already said to you. You put Jesus first. So when the invitation came to do another kind of work, we worried. We're going to leave all this behind. We can't. So I called my wife's old sage father. I said, um, I've received a call to work somewhere else. And I think it's risky to leave. And he reminded me of my own words, what I've said to you today. There's great risk in leaving, getting out of this boat and following Jesus where he's calling you. But Sam, there's also great risk in staying and saying no to a new adventure. So, I say to you, today, on this June 22, almost exactly 21 years after I preached my first sermon here entitled, God is like a burger. I was gonna preach that again, but I said, that's not a good one. I've matured some since then. If you remember anything else from this 21-year life I've made with you here, it is this, Jesus first, the center, the circumference. There will always be great risk in following him, but you should say yes. Get out of the boat every time to whatever adventure he calls you to. Be blessed now in the name of Jesus, our Lord, May you go in peace to serve him and find your greatest joy in every day, knowing him, finding your fulfillment and satisfaction and doing the things he calls you to, enraptured by his beauty and his love. I pray this in the name of God, our creator, Jesus, our savior, and the Holy Spirit, our guide. Amen.